the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. It is actually not Georgine Rice. My name is Ronna Mall, and I am the executive director of Transitional Youth Breaking Cycles. Uh, Georgine is in Guatemala and will be back on the air live on Monday. And in the meantime, I have the privilege of sitting in studio today with a few guests from Transitional Youth that I would love to introduce to you. Um, Transitional Youth is a faith-based nonprofit in Oregon and Washington, and we serve homeless and at-risk youth in both states. Um, In the studio today, we have Bert Waugh, the founder, Bob Neubauer, our development director, Donna, our house mom in Vancouver, and Anthony, who is a past resident and now a residential assistant with the organization. We're super excited. Um, I would like to first introduce Bert Waugh, who is the founder, and he can share a little bit about the journey of beginning Transitional Youth almost 28 years ago. Bert? Thank you, Rana. It's uh, great to be here. I uh, have so much uh, respect and love for Georgine Rice, and it's a real privilege and honor to uh, be here today on uh, on her show. Um, my wife and I started bringing at-risk youth into our home back in the 70s when our youngsters were babies. And uh, actually, that was before I started walking with the Lord, but I know now that he had put on my heart uh, for this population, the at-risk youth. And I was walking the streets of uh, McMinnville and Newburgh, and uh, when I found uh, a youth that was sleeping on the street, I'd bring him home, at least one or two at a time. That went on for many years, and then finally, in uh, 1991, I became president of an organization that uh, gave me a platform uh, to speak to a number of people, and uh, the Lord put on my heart, transitional youth. And it was very, very clear right from the beginning to uh, feed downtown Portland, uh, have a ranch, and to have houses, and then to help with uh, independent living. And for 28 years, we've stayed very steadfast to that um, will of the Lord. Uh, good times, bad times, tough times, wonderful times. Um, it's just been a, a real honor and a privilege to uh, be part of the transitional youth team. Thank you so much, Bert. Um, I have had the privilege of hearing a lot of Bert's stories over the years. And one of the stories that impresses me the most is when he was about 22 years old and was really impacted by a situation. And I'd love for you to share that. But before I um, I ask you to share that, I would love for you to share your age, if you don't mind. <laughs> 39. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, a young 75. 75. And so this story that Bert is about to share, he was about 22 years old. And and the reason why I I say this is because I want to point out the point that God plants a seed in somebody's heart to begin something. 
And the time that it takes sometimes to see that come to fruition or to see the fruit of that sometimes stretches over many years. And um, this is just um, a testament to um, God's faithfulness and Bert's faithfulness in this journey. So, Bert, would you mind sharing that story of the soup kitchen? Um, I'm not sure. There's so many (laughs) stories at the beginning. You told a story about being in a soup kitchen and sitting at a table with a group of men. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Actually, what really started me on this mission was even a little bit younger than that. When I was in high school and some friends of mine, we were good athletes. They would go downtown Portland and uh, foam uh, youth and uh, homeless adults on the street. And it just, that impacted me so much that I lost those friends. I walked away from that. Um, And that was really the start of the deep feeling for uh, the at-risk and the homeless. But I was uh, volunteering at an outreach uh, downtown, and I was down there playing uh, cards and up in the upper deck. And this mom and dad drove up to the door and threw their little daughter out. And she walked in the place, and I looked down there, and this blonde-haired, blue-eyed little girl, and to me looked like she was about 10 years old, well, my wife's uh, blonde-haired, blue-eyed. And I looked down there, and I was horrified. And one of the boys looked up to me and said, this is her last night of innocence. And that really got me. And I, I know that uh, the Lord really put that on my heart because over the last few years, uh, being of the age that maybe I should be um, walking down the the white carpet or whatever that is to, to retire. If I say to my wife, I think I'm going to walk away from this that night, I'll have a dream and I'll see that little girl's face. It's incredible. And, uh, that's why it was, it, it was so meaningful to now have Vita's Ark, the girl's house along with that story. Yes. And we're going to have the privilege to talk with Donna, our house director at Vita's Ark, but truly we see those faces every single day when we're working with these kids and, and the truth is, um, many of them are experiencing their last night of innocence tonight, last night, tomorrow night. And so, um, Bert, I just want to say thank you and, and honor you for staying the course in um, that journey as a teenager and a 22-year-old man. And when you started Transitional Youth in 1991, I'm terrible at math, but you were probably about 50, um, and to this day, and so 28 incredible years, and um, we just want to honor you and say thank you so much. Thank you. I can't wait to get to heaven and see that little face. Yes, yes, yes. So um, at this time, um, Transitional Youth, what we cover, um, we do serve downtown Portland. Um, Every Monday night, we serve a meal to youth that are on the streets, and every third Thursday, we throw a prodigal son banquet where we invite kids in, and we set tables with linens and and um, real plates, not paper plates. And we bring in a wonderful organization called Hands of Favor that does haircuts. We bring in new clothes and hygiene items. And then in addition to that, Transitional Youth has homes, a home for young men, 18 years old to 25, and recently added, a little over a year ago, a home for girls, 14 years old to 25. And the, the girls are pregnant or parenting. And then just uh, about a year ago as well, we added uh, Breaking Cycles Coffee and Bike Shop. And this is a direct vocational training for 
our young people. We're excited to share a little bit more, but right now we're going to go to a break. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. My name is Ronna Mall, and I'm sitting in for Georgine today, and I have to say that I'm incredibly honored to do so. Um, in the studio today, we have our team from Transitional Youth, and you can visit us online at transitionalyouth.org. Um, Bert, our founder, is here, and he just um, said that I need to tell my story, so I guess I better listen. <laughs> um, I, I guess I wanted to share that um, I was myself born into homelessness, and you know, God is so good that he would pick up broken pieces and turn those pieces into an opportunity to bring um, hope to, to folks and to minister. And really, my life scripture is Isaiah 61, which I will read a little bit later, but this really does go um, along the line of my own personal story, and especially working with youth today. But I was born into homelessness um, in New Orleans, and for the first seven years of my life, the family car was my home, along with several siblings and my mom and my dad. Uh, my dad was an addict and a gambler, and uh, he thought that traveling across the country with a carload of kids was an exciting adventure. And so we did. We drove across the country, and the back seat of that car, actually the floorboard of that car, was my bed, along with my siblings who were older than me and were the ones that got the prized spots on the, on the, in the back seat or the back window of the car. Um, and when I was about three years old, I do remember an encounter with God that I'll never forget. And God revealed himself to me and showed me that he was real and put a fear in my heart, a, a good kind of fear that made me never question that he was real, even though I didn't know his name. Um, my father was um, abusive in his addiction in that he um, wasn't safe for my mom or us. And so my mom schemed a plan to talk him into coming to Portland, which we'd visited, I guess, on several occasions. And she thought it would be a good place to establish roots for her family. And so she did that when I was about six or seven years old. And when she got to Portland, she left my dad. And I don't know how she did it to this day. I don't know how she did it. But she found a job and she found us a home. And it was really the first home that I remember at seven years old. Um, just a few short years later, my dad left our lives entirely. He told my mom, if you are, um, if you want to wear the pants, then I'm going to give them to you. And he left our lives entirely when I was 10, and I never saw him again. I wondered so many times if I ever would see him again. And I remember um, close to my 10th birthday writing my dad a letter on Father's Day and just pouring my heart out. And I just remember being really angry and wondering where he was and if I would ever see him again. And one year from that date, I ripped up that letter and I burnt it. And I think it was about that time that I started to really spiral downward. My mom was working three jobs. Um, she, she did her very best to raise four kids that were pretty wild. I think we had the police called on us 20 times during one summer. Um, she did her best. Um, uh, she struggled um, but it was shortly after that, when I was about 12 years old, that I started using drugs and um, really didn't have much hope for my life. I, I uh, started hanging out with people I shouldn't hang out with and sneaking out my bedroom window. And uh, it got to the point that my mom couldn't handle it anymore and threatened to sign me over to the state as a ward of the state, which has ha had happened to my sister a year prior. And she told me that I was next. And if 
if I didn't straighten up, then then I was going to be in state custody. I didn't know what that meant. All I do know is that I'll never forget the day that uh, the police came to pick up my sister and put her in the back of the police car and drove away and then was told, I no longer have a sister. Again, I guess for a 10 or 12-year-old, that is really hard to wrap your head around. And so I decided to beat my mom to the punch, and I ran. And I ended up on the streets of Portland as a homeless youth. Um, Back in those days, (laughs) there weren't a lot of services, but there were certainly a lot of street kids. And I found a group to hang out with, and I found a street family, and I found a place to belong in a way, as twisted as that seems. Um, And I started using drugs more heavily and got picked up by the police and thrown in JDH a couple of times. And um, I recall one day in particular that I was walking down the street And I happened to be, at that point, 14 years old, and I was high, and I was pregnant. I I knew I was pregnant. I'd taken a pregnancy test, but in terms of coming to grips with what that really meant, I didn't didn't really understand. I, I just know that I was absolutely hopeless. I didn't care about my life, let alone someone else's life. But I was walking down the street, and I was using, and I literally collapsed. It was like someone just thumped me in the top of the head, and I went down. And as crazy as that sounds, knowing my Lord now, I know that he uses measures to reach us like that. And the reason why I know it was God, looking back now, is because I was instantly sober, instantly in my right mind. And I heard the Lord say, this baby isn't going anywhere. And again, I didn't know the voice of God, but I knew he was real. And I said, okay, God, if that is you, whoever you are, I need help. I can't do this. And I can't tell you from that point forward it was smooth, but I can tell you that I knew I had an encounter that breathed the tiniest bit of hope and life into my heart that set me on a different path. While I was on the streets and while I was scrambling for a place to stay, hiding in closets of my friends' houses or literally hiding under a bed so their parents wouldn't know I was there, um, I reached out to my mom and I asked if I could come back home for a little while. And I knew that if she found out I was pregnant, I would be kicked out. And so I had to hide the pregnancy for a little while. But fast forward, um, I can tell you that God is faithful, and he hears those prayers, and he hears those cries, even when we don't know who he is and what his name is. Um, this began my journey to um, calling out to him, this, this stranger, this God that I didn't know who he was, but I became convinced that he knew where I was. And so I started to call out and ask for help in a million ways. And he did help. He came to my rescue. And I won't go into all the details there, but what I will say is that it was shortly after that when my daughter was born that the Lord put on my heart. And again, I didn't know it was him. I, I was feisty and I was stubborn. And I, I, I knew that there were so many more kids out there like me that needed help. And I promised myself and I promised my beautiful little girl that I was going to come back and help the kids that I once was. And so that has begun my journey to serving at-risk youth and homeless youth and teen moms and their babies and kids that are being trafficked and sold. Um, And it's been an incredible 20-some years since that time. Um, The reason why I share that story is because, again, God is a promise keeper. And um, Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance, our God, to comfort all who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will call, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the place long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated in four generations. This really has become my life scripture, and I believe that this is what the Lord is doing with transitional youth and those that serve. Uh, these are young people that come to us broken. And not only are we called to serve them, but we have the greatest privilege of all, and that is to raise these kids up in such a way that they, in turn, will be the ones to bind up the brokenhearted and to rebuild the ancient ruins. It's what Jesus did for us, and it's what we get to do for others, and it's what we get to teach and train others to do for the next generation. And so we are so privileged to be a part of this organization what an amazing uh, story of the Lord, grace, transformation, and hope. Uh, all those in, uh, inspired by you. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I first met Ron about eight or nine years ago, and right here at the station at a uh, telethon, and saw this uh, beautiful young lady. I won't ask your age since you asked Thank me Thank you. Mine. I won't tell you. Um, <laughs> But uh, a lady called in, in in tears saying that her daughter had ran away. And we stopped the telethon right there, and we all prayed. And lo and behold, before the telethon was over, that little girl showed back up home. And the mom brought her down to the station uh, to introduce us. Yeah, that's incredible. Thank you so much. We will be going to break right now and be back in a few minutes. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. My name is Ron Amal, and I have the privilege of sitting in for Georgine while she is away in Guatemala. Um, I am the executive director of Transitional Youth Breaking Cycles, and I'm privileged today to have a few folks from our team here in the studio. So right now, I would love to introduce to you our development director, Bob Neubauer. Ron, thanks so much. Uh, the other thing, if you were just listening to Ron's story, you need to get over to our Breaking Cycles coffee shop on the corner of 33rd and Southeast Pile and meet her. Uh, Ron has got an unbelievable <laughs> charisma, but is full of the Lord. And you can see how we make coffee and maybe even take a look at the bikes that we have there. Again, that's 3354 Southeast Pile. Thank you for that plug, Bob. And we're going to share a little bit more about what Breaking Cycles is. Um, in the meantime, uh, you know, I am a frontline person. I, I can't stay away from the front lines. I heard someone say one time, and please forgive me if whoever said this is out there, and I, I'm not, I don't remember your name, forgive me, but I heard someone share one time that your calling isn't what you run to. Your calling is what you can't run from. And I know for myself, I cannot run from the front lines in working with youth. Um, and Bob's contribution and what he can't run from is really getting out and speaking with folks that can help fund 
the work that we do. And so some of the questions that I have for Bob, I, I'm just always curious, what what do you think about that, Bob? Ronna, I, I looked at myself once and said, you know, when I Bert said, come on board with me, I said to him, I said, I'd like to be able to uh, build business relationships that will make a difference in the kingdom. I really like talking to business owners because I spent some time working for a bank, and I love to see how widgets were made. And one of the things going out, everybody has their story of what they do, but it's no different than our story for our kids. A couple things that we do that I find just very unbelievable is at Vita's Ark, there's an opportunity, and we have a couple partners who have come alongside of us, who've given us a donation once a month. And for that, we've taken and hug, hang a plaque on the door of the young lady that says, we are believe in you. And that young lady will, at times, will write a note to those folks and tell them how great they are. We've got other folks when we do a radiothon or things like that, that will sign up to do a monthly donation. That is so impactful on changing these young people's lives in that they don't have to uh, worry about coming into our program and uh, having the financial liabilities. So from that standpoint, it's, it's just been unbelievable to go out and see the willingness of the community to help out. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, you know, it really does take a village. And we hear all the time, you know, this this issue of homelessness really does impact all of us. We can't drive very far without seeing the evidence of homelessness all around us. And a lot of people are frustrated and they're confused and they're angry because they're seeing the evidence of this and, and, and yet they want to help in some way. This is obviously a social justice issue that impacts all of us. And I love that not everybody has to run to the front line, but they can contribute in so many different ways. Um, again, we are Transitional Youth, and you can visit us on our website at transitionalyouth.org. You can also reach us by phone at 503-350-7215. Again, it's transitionalyouth.org, 503-350-7215. Bob, would you mind sharing a little bit about how folks can contribute? Yeah. Uh, again, there's many ways. Uh, you can do it monthly. You can go onto the website, as she mentioned, and there is a donate button. But one of the things, when I go out, I try to build relationships with people, listen to what they have to say, and then hopefully they'll want to take and donate to us. I was very fortunate that there's a large company here in town that has come alongside of us over the last couple of years. And Each time I visited with the CEO of this company, his executive assistant made a comment. She'd like to help by volunteering for her church group. They reached out to Rana and went to the Breaking Cycles coffee shop that you must visit. (laughs) And the opportunity was that they were going to take and put together packets for homeless kids to take with them when they're on the street. She also mentioned that her husband, Jesse, was a recovering heroin addict, and he'd like to tell his testimony. So we brought some young guys in that were up at the ranch, 
up in Yakult that are go through a one-year program. That's, that's a good time to plug, too. We pay $333 a month to employ the boys and leadership skills up there. So if anybody's that's listening and it's on your heart to come alongside us for maybe at least 12 months at $333 a month, we'd love for that. But the boys came down to the Breaking Cycles coffee shop, and we fed them a meal, and Jesse shared his story. One of our fabulous new guys, Joseph. Joseph was living in a cemetery. But Joseph came to the ranch and really enjoyed it. And as he was listening to Jesse's story, they realized that several months back, Joseph took and was in an accident where his girlfriend died. And Jesse shared this story. I was the one that resuscitated you and brought you back to life through prayers of my team praying over you as he was the EMT. The two guys had never seen each other since that accident. That is so powerful in that I was over looking for a donation but God was looking for two human lives to rebond with each other. And now they're in concert with each other and in concert with Christ. You can't get any better than that, Rana. but we still need money. <laughs> yeah, we can't get any better than that. And just the fact that God orchestrated the fact that this, this young man, Jesse, is the EMT and fireman that responded to that brutal car accident that took a young girl's life but brought life to Joseph and the fact that they were in that same room together three months later was an absolute miracle. And I'll tell you, um, the tears that flowed in that moment were just absolutely incredible. And this is one of those stories that has impacted all of us. We cannot we cannot, not be changed when we see God moving like that. And, and it started with this connection with the donor. Going back to some of the other things that... W- We'll have a annual dinner coming up that you'll want to take and watch for. Last year, we had 450 people in a hotel downtown and listened to Paul Young. And Paul brought one of the young men out of the, the group that's one of our kids and brought him up and gave him a hug. And the two of them, unscripted, cried and told each other how much they love him. But that was an impactful night for 450 people. So please watch for that date coming up in June. We also do a golf tournament. So all you golfers that are out there, our good friends at Langdon Farm have done it in the past. Where We might be making some changes, but we would love uh, people who are golfers. And again, going back to Breaking Cycles Coffee Shop and Bike Shop, We've had several people come in and donate bikes. Come give us a try. Come give us a ride. You'll be amazed of the pennies that she'll share (laughs) that story. It's one of the segments a little bit later. And again, you can visit us online at www.transitionalyouth.org and uh, give us a call at 503-5, sorry, excuse me, 503-350-7215. Thank you, Bob, so much for sharing. Thank you. We're going to break. Thanks. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. My name is Ronna Mall. Sitting in for Georgine today is she is in Guatemala. She will be back on Monday live. In the meantime, I have the privilege of sitting in for her, and I, I truly am honored. Um, I am the executive director of Transitional Youth Breaking Cycles, and we are talking today about the services that Transitional Youth has been providing in the Portland, Vancouver area for 28 years. Uh, We have an outreach in downtown Portland where we serve kids right on the streets uh, every Monday night and every third Thursday with the Prodigal Son Banquet. And then we have housing for young men 18 years old to 25 and housing for young moms 14 to 25, as well as Breaking Cycles Coffee and Bike Shop that is a vocational training spot for our young people to learn job skills. Um, Today in the studio, we have a few guests from our organization I'm really excited to um, introduce to you. Um, In the meantime, I just wanted to share a tiny bit about this whole issue of homelessness that really does impact all of us. We can't drive very far um, in, in seeing on the street corners and hillsides garbage and folks holding signs. And I know that there's a lot of frustration and maybe even anger around all of that. Um, but what I would like to say is someone um, being part of an organization that serves these young people is that truly if the streets is better than where they came from, there's something really serious going on. And I believe as the church, it is our responsibility to really find out first what that is. And sometimes it means asking the right questions. I was speaking at a school a few years ago, and there was a young girl after I got done sharing about some of our stories who came up to me. She was about 14 years old, and she came up to me after my speech there. And just with the greatest conviction in her eyes and really tears welling up in her eyes, she said to me, how can we help? And I knew that her question was so sincere and so honest and just so ready for an answer. And the Lord grabbed hold of that question in my mind and reversed it and said, that's the wrong question. The right question is, how can we love? The question isn't, how can we help? The question is, how can we love? Because if we're asking, how can we help? We will be satisfied with handing $2 out a car window or going down once a year and feeding the homeless. But if we're asking how can we love, it changes it entirely because that means we have to have skin in the game. That means we have to care where that young person is the next day and the next day and the next day. And really, the lens that I I, I look through, because we have to, is what would I want for my own children? If that were my daughter of 17 years old or my son of 20 years old, What would I want for him? And would I really feel that great about handing $2 out a window and driving away and thinking that I did something wonderful? And I'm not saying for those of you that just feel led every time you pull up to a corner to hand something out the window that you're doing wrong. I just want to challenge you the next time you pull up to a a corner and roll down your window, please ask the Lord, how can I love this person right now? Um, Bert, what do you think? (laughs) <laughs> you spent a lot of years loving these kids. Uh, it's so important to uh, build those personal relationships. I mean, you just have to. Mm-hmm. That's not what's being done with the homeless downtown, but that's us. It's it's that showing that love and building those personal relationships. I will never forget when Daniel walked into the feeding center and 
weeks later, he told me his story. And for me, it was so shocking. And the stories are all the same, but they're all different. But Daniel's mom uh, lived in Vancouver and uh, drug addict, alcoholic, put him as an eight-year-old in the back seat of her car with two sisters and um, not sure what was in her mind, but uh, drove downtown Portland and made the decision when she opened the door, I'm assuming one of the three, she was dropping off and she dropped Daniel off downtown Portland as an eight-year-old to start his life on the streets of Portland at eight. When he walked into um, the feeding, over those years he'd been running drugs and then he was buying and selling drugs and had a lot of money and then no money, a lot of money, no money, getting robbed. Somebody finally stole his last item, which was a bicycle. When he walked in there, he said, I need help. I need help. And uh, a year and a half later, um, I was in his wedding. <laughs> and uh, just a, a, a very, very emotional time. That's incredible. Um, from Just from my experience in working with some of these young people over the years, um, they're just the stories, you know, there's just no way to really describe some of these moments like Bert is talking about. But similarly, one story that stands out in my mind is I was downtown at our outreach and um, I was very new to the organization. And um, I had heard that one of the youth was missing and they didn't know where their friend was, their their street brother. And there was a lot of fear. They didn't know if he'd been murdered. They didn't know if he'd overdosed. And But I do remember the night that this friend walked in the door and the reunion and the response of his friends. And I saw this young man walk through the door and these kids, several of them, ran full force towards this kid and wrapped their arms around him so tight. And I have to, I have to admit, in that moment, the first thought was, have I ever been hugged that tight before? Have I ever been welcomed that warmly, that aggressively before, and it got me thinking. And what I've discovered over the years with transitional youth is that our kids, just like any kids, just like you as an adult, we're looking for a few things in this life. And I think that this goes across the board, no matter what population we're talking about, whether it be homeless youth, whether it be gangs, whether it be girls that are being trafficked, I can say the same is true. And the same is true for me. There's four things that we're looking for. I believe it all ties to our identity that God has given us, but the enemy has come in to steal, to kill, and to destroy, and he's warped it. Number one, we all are looking for a name. We want to know that our name matters. Number two, we're looking for a tribe, a people group, a gang, whatever you want to call it, a family. We, we need a name and we need a family. And number three, we need a purpose in this life, a purpose that will fulfill our hearts and make us feel like we're doing something that really matters. And number four, the fourth thing is that the purpose that we pour our heart into would be so great that we would literally lay our lives down for it. And so as we look at God and his design and family, he gives us a name. He gives us a family. He adopts us into his. We are heirs. We become his children. Number three, he gives us a purpose within that family to the point we literally will lay our life down for it just as he did. 
And so I believe for our young people, too, that's what they're looking for. And unfortunately, they're landing on the streets of Portland. And I have to tell you that many of them have been given a one-way ticket to Portland from other cities in our country because the services here are so robust. And so what that means is there's a perfect web being set. And I believe a lot of it, um, the strings the enemy has, A perfect web is being set where all of their needs are being met, but it's not enough to get them out. And so they're finding belonging. They're given a new name. They're given a street name. They're given a new family. They call it their street family. They're given a purpose within that family. All of a sudden, their world shrinks down to a few city blocks. And number four, they literally are laying their lives down for it. Some of the most painful moments in this journey for me have been moments we've actually had to perform funerals for some of these kids. Some of these kids, um, many of them have died out there, have overdosed out there, and many of them have lost their minds. And so we believe as the church we are called to stand in the gap and tell them the truth about their identity, what their name really is, who their family really is, what the purpose that God has on their lives really is to the point they can lay their lives down for it. And I'm just going to challenge you guys out there listening that that is going to happen through the church. What are we telling our young people? Are we telling them that they're valuable and that they're valuable enough to ask the question, how can I love? And this is what I love about transitional youth is, yes, we are serving in downtown Portland, but that is not all we do. Transitional youth has strategically set up homes outside of downtown Portland in the suburbs where these young people can be met on the streets, met aging out of foster care, met coming out of JDH or other youth services, maybe even met like some of our young people um, introduced to us by families that are just at the end of their rope. And we are able to send them to these homes long-term where they can learn what their name is, who their people group is, what their purpose is to the point God will challenge them to lay their life down for him. And that's what I love about transitional youth. It's not about just serving someone a plate of food, but it truly is about transformation that is long-term and leads them to the core that Christ is at the center of their identity. He's the one that knows every hair on their head, and he knows every day of their life, just like Psalm 139 says. And so, um, Bert, thank you for creating this opportunity for all of us. Thank you, Lord. Yes, thank you, Lord. Um, Do you have another story for us? Uh, you remember Lucas? I do remember Lucas. For the first 14 years of his life, his mother had him sleep in the closet, handcuffed. For some reason, I, I understand she was a Wiccan, but at 14 he finally figured out it wasn't normal to be handcuffed and uh, sleeping in the closet. So he left home at 14, and we got him here at Portland at uh, 18. And he was a challenge, and with a lot of good reasons to be a challenge. Mm-hmm. But um, through working at the ranch, one of the houses, and is now living in Idaho, um, working a job in Idaho, and does a Bible study. That's incredible. True transformation. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. Georgine is actually in Guatemala right now, so I have the privilege of sitting in for her today. Georgine will be back on Monday. Um, in the meantime, um, I am Rana Mall and the Executive Director of Transitional Youth Breaking Cycles, and just truly honored to have this privilege to share with you some of our stories with transitional youth. If you are interested in checking out our website, please do so, transitionalyouth.org, and you can also reach us at 503 503- Three five zero seven two one five. Um, we're just going to do a little recap right now about who Transitional Youth is and what we do. Um, Transitional Youth has been in Portland for going on twenty eight years, serving homeless and at risk youth. For 20 of those years, specifically, um, primarily, we were serving on the streets of Portland. And um, about nine years ago or so, we opened our first home. The founder is Bert Waugh, and he's here today, and he's going to share a little bit as well. Um, Right now, Transitional Youth still serves on the streets of Portland every Monday night. And um, in addition to that, we have several homes, uh, some for young men, 18 years old to 25, and then Vita's Ark, uh, which serves young moms, 14 years old to 25. And we also have Donna, our house mom here, who will be sharing a little bit later as well. In addition to our outreach and homes, we also have Breaking Cycles Coffee and Bike Shop. And and I'm just really um, honored to have Breaking Cycles tucked in under the umbrella of transitional youth as the Lord put Breaking Cycles on my heart in 2013. And really what the point of that was is to create a safe place for young people to learn job skills. Our hope with transitional youth is to really rescue kids where they're at and give them new hope, new opportunities to um, set in a direction of the of the Lord and what He has for their lives, rather than what the streets dictate to them. So, Breaking Cycles is located at thirty third and Powell. The address is three three five four Southeast Powell, and again, it is a coffee and bike shop to the community. And so, if you if you go by there, you may not even know that it's part of the ministry unless you dig a little bit deeper and see that some of our baristas and bike mechanics are actually some of the at risk youth that we serve. Um, one of the stories that I'd love to share about breaking cycles is that you will notice right away as you walk in there is a penny floor. And the reason why we have this penny floor is because the penny has become a powerful symbol in relation to the youth that we work with. How many times have you stepped over a penny on the sidewalk and not thought anything of it? I read recently uh, a little fact that said that it actually costs more money to produce a penny than it is worth, which is pretty powerful. It makes me wonder how long pennies will be around. But for us, pennies are absolutely valuable. And the reason is because many of our youth are also stepped over on sidewalks, literally. I don't know where we ever began to think that human beings are disposable or worthless, but I do believe that God wants to change our minds about that. And so what we did is we gathered 200 volunteers and 148,000 pennies over several years, I might add, (laughs) to um, save up those pennies. And we set about a four-month journey in laying a penny floor at our cafe. And if you go and visit Breaking Cycles at 33rd and Powell, you will see not only pennies on the floor, but images in the floor of hearts and names and scriptures and truly our message is on the floor. And so this is a metaphorical and physical laying of a new foundation for our young people. Currently, we have about 12 apprentices right now who come to the shop every day and are learning how to make coffee, interact with customers, handle cash, work on bikes. And truly, it is, it's bringing about transformation in their lives as they're learning 
that they have a place to belong. We mentioned earlier about what we all need in terms of a, a, a tribe. We need a, a community to belong to where we're valued, and this truly has become that, along with our houses as well. And so we're, we're really excited about that. One quick story that I'd like to tell you before I invite Bert back on is um, I was working at our outreach about five years ago or so, and a young man by the name of Casper, that's his street name, came in. And this was a young man that I, I literally would I'd sit with, and I would share a meal with them, and I'd talk with them and listen to him, and then I would cry all the way home. I would say, dear God, help me, please, to hold the tears in while I'm with him. I felt like I needed to be strong, and then I would cry all the way home. Um, Casper was about six foot two and I'm thinking at that time weighed maybe 170 pounds. He was skin and bones and he just captured my heart. And I just prayed and prayed, Lord, save this young man. I don't want to do a funeral for this young man. One night he came into our outreach and he sat down and he pulled the change out of his pocket and then set it on the, on the table. And he separated the nickels and dimes and quarters from the pennies And he brushed the pennies aside and then put the change, the silver, back in his pocket. And this was an opportunity for me to challenge him a little bit. And I said, Casper, what'd you do that for? That's money too. And he said to me, it's worthless, just like me and just like the doorway that I sleep in. And I don't know what it was. It was a floodgate because I burst into tears and I just said, Casper, that's not true. You are incredibly valuable. And whatever possessed me must have been the Holy Spirit. I started to share with him about my dream to someday have a cafe where we were going to have a penny floor just to show him and kids like him. He was about 17 years old at the time that he was tremendously valuable. And I wanted to send a message to the community to show just how valuable and precious he, like the penny, is. And as I shared this, his eyes lit up, and it was the last thing that I expected, but his eyes lit up, and he said, Rana, I can help you lay that floor. And he told me how he used to lay floors with his dad. And so he picked up the pennies off the table and literally got down on his hands and knees and started to press the pennies against the floor and the wall and tell me how exactly to lay that penny floor. Well, fast forward. At that at that moment, actually, I said, okay, Casper, I'm going to challenge you. We're going to make each other a promise. I'm going to open that cafe. I'm not going back. And you are going to help me lay the floor. So fast forward several years. One year ago, Casper came and helped me lay that penny floor. And he had been four years clean at that point. And I love the fact that he he contacted me and said, Rana, I need some help. I need some extra money to buy a suit for my wedding. I'm getting married. And so he came and helped lay that floor and was able to buy a suit for his wedding. Um, That is just one story of transformation under the umbrella of transitional youth. Yes, Rana, there's two stories that I tell whenever I give a talk on transitional youth and transformation. The penny is one of the stories. And the other is the second boy at the ranch, at the rich uh, ranch, Jared was on the streets of Vancouver, and uh, drugs, alcohol, girls, and uh, two of his friends died around him. And the next thing we knew, he was up at the ranch. And just an amazing young man. Um, We've got a, Susie and I have a painting that he painted up on one of our walls. Uh, He can play any musical instrument uh, without sheet music. 
uh, graduated from the ranch, and then worked over at Royal Ridges for another two years, paying off some debt and working with all the young men that were coming through after him. And then he called me one day and he says, I want to go to Bible college. And so we helped him to go to Bible college. The real story of transformation is Jared, but as he was walking through the field one day, he saw a dead tree. And he looked at that dead tree and he said, that was me, I was dead on the street. He cut that tree down and he built the most gorgeous electric guitar out of that dead tree. It's incredible. Incredible. And last, uh, our 25th year, he came up as our keynote speaker and he presented that guitar to me. I'm still trying to learn how to be Elvis Presley with that. I haven't <laughs> quite accomplished that yet, but just two wonderful stories of transitional youth and transformation taking place. Thank you. We'll be back with more of the Georgine Rice Show in a few minutes. I'm Ronna Mall, and you're listening to 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. My name is Ronna Mall, and I'm sitting in with Georgine for Georgine Rice today. Uh, she is currently in Guatemala and will be back on Monday. Um, I am the Executive Director of Transitional Youth Breaking Cycles and just so privileged to be here today with some guests. Transitional Youth, uh, you can you can visit us online at transitionalyouth.org and you can give us a call at 503-350-7215. I've had the privilege of speaking with Bert Waugh, our founder, and next we would like to introduce to you one of our um, current, most recent staff members, but also a former uh, youth and resident of our program. This is Anthony. So I met um, Anthony a couple of years ago. I actually met his brother at our outreach about three years ago. His name is Ricky. And Ricky came in to our outreach and he was hungry. And when we shared with him about our housing program, he was incredibly eager and he he just bit right away. And so I'm just going to go ahead and hand this over to Anthony. He can fill you in about some of those details. Yeah, thank you. I uh, I appreciate being on. This is honestly like a huge thing because I never would have seen myself in a position to be able to speak and uh and and let people in about just like what I've been through or 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 where this program has taken me. So, I guess I'll just start a little bit from from where you left off. My brother was in the program and uh and he like you said you met him at outreach and he ended up in one of the uh, TY houses in Beaverton, Oregon. And, uh, and he had a lot of success there. I'd been living up in Washington and, um, throughout both of our lives when, when we were getting raised up, we didn't really have any places to go. Our our parents were kind of nomadic. They were drug addicts and, and did pretty much everything under the sun. So we didn't really have a chance to, uh, to see what normal life was like. And so, uh, I had been living up in Washington for, for quite a while. I thought I had my stuff straight. Um, Growing up, I, I ended up addicted to drugs uh, pretty early on. My brother my brother was a big influence on me because I loved him so much, and I was pretty much his shadow growing up. Uh, he started smoking weed and stuff, and uh, and I just kind of fell in fell in place um, as a as a leader of my life. Kind of after he he got arrested for a couple of crimes, and uh, I ended up being like the man of the house kind of thing. Uh, I was living with my mom, and uh, and got introduced to using hard, more hard drugs like, uh, like meth and heroin. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, you're good. 
it was um it was pretty difficult growing up just uh just understanding how life was supposed to be because my parents didn't really have any direction and and they'd been pretty much on the on the same level of of where I was um without any guidance or anyone to look up to we just wandered the streets um I got involved with gangs and was breaking into houses and uh, using any drug that I could get a hold of, whether it was pills or, or marijuana or whatever it was. Um, I was running around with uh, with a lot of people that were older than me because I was always looking for just a crowd to fit into with all the um, with all the stories you guys have told tonight. It kind of links in a lot with just how I was looking for um, a person to be and um, a family to be a part of and to have a name and growing up in, in on the streets and and kind of witnessing the only people that really cared about me were were bad influences and it took a long time for me to get my own my own life straight and feel like I had a grip on things and um I ended up going to juvie for a little while and finding finding God through uh the Bible all I really read was proverbs and um I didn't know who the holy spirit was or who Jesus was or anything like that but um, after I was released, I stopped using hard drugs, um, meth, meth at least, and, and got my life on track a little bit. I was roofing for a couple of years and uh, and thought I had things down, started using heroin again and got into a relationship with a gal that was just broken. And and uh, I thought that I was going to lead myself into a into a family and into a purpose. And, and I thought I had an understanding of what life was. And all of that kind of fell apart with falling back into drugs and uh and um in the meantime your brother has found his way to one of our homes with transitional youth and he told you about it yeah yeah he got a hold of me when i was uh when i was living with my girlfriend and and was always telling me about jesus and how it made his life so much better and and how he had this understanding of a person that that was almost like almost like he believed <laughs> that he existed today and it was a, a hard concept for me to get a hold of um he had always, he was always offering me to to come down and to start a new life and um i always thought that that was just his own thing and that he had found something well but but there wasn't a a place for me there and uh after me and my my uh my girlfriend had cheated on me and we had been sharing an apartment together so uh i moved out and didn't have a place to live um i was kind of at my lowest low and still uh, I'd fallen back into drugs and stuff, so he got, I got a hold of him and uh, subsequently got linked up and told a little bit more about how the program worked, and uh, I got a hold of the director of the Beaverton House, and and uh, they invited me in that day. Um, I thought that I was going to get pushed away because they're like, no, you're just too much of a hard case. Like, um, We've got enough people in the house right now or some kind of excuse because they they knew what kind of person I was. I had been video chatting with my brother, and... Um, smoking and drinking and and uh, just being vulgar in all kinds of ways. So uh, when I was accepted into the house, it it was it was huge. Um, I moved down that day, and and my transformation with Jesus really really took place. I, I like I said, I had never knew who Jesus was. So when people started telling me about um, this this deity that had became man and that had died for me, it was almost like all these people on the streets. Um, all these people on the streets that were trying to be my family didn't didn't understand what it took to to, to have that 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 place 
and um, there had somebody there was somebody who went before me already, and they they had died for me, and that wanted to change my life. So um, I just d- dived in. I, I gave it my all. I, I did everything that I could to um, lift up prayers and talk to whoever it was I was talking to. I wasn't sure at first, and I wasn't. Um, I'm not sure I fully comprehended what that meant. But um, my life started to change drastically within weeks. I mean, I I was living in a in a house in the suburbs right behind a church. I was um, serving with my brother, and um, and he was just a a great influence of who Jesus was, along with the people in the house. Um, I can't I can't express how how differently overnight the the transformation was, and how how much I had been going through and how much I'd put myself through. And all it took was to realize that there was somebody on my side that was going to help me take steps. And, and that person wasn't somebody that I could, that I could physically grab the hand of, but even still, like it's, it's changed my life for in a massive way. He's real. Jesus is real, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's incredible. We were talking earlier about how um, we think sometimes, Oh, I'm, I found Jesus, but really he finds us. We're not, we can't fool ourselves. He's the one that finds us. And he found Anthony exactly where he was and he welcomed him in to God's family, into the family of transitional youth. And fast forward a little bit, um, Anthony successfully completed the transitional youth program and just continued to thrive and grow and develop. And he got his certification as a personal trainer about six months or so ago. Um, Tell us a little bit about that. Um, yeah, so all I, the only life skill I had when I, when I came into the house was I, I was a roofer for that year and that's what I thought I wanted to do. Um, I had a mentor when I got into the house and he kind of led me a little bit and told me, do you really want to be breaking your back, um, for the rest of your life, putting roofs on? And I, um, because it was the only thing I knew how to do, I was like, not really, but, but God bless those roofers. Absolutely. <laughs> we <but> need you. <laughs> absolutely. And that's what gave me, I felt like I had a purpose because I was yeah. putting roofs on people's yeah. he, over people's heads, but, um, he wanted to develop and find a passion in me. And so I just tried to live that out. Um, I got a job and worked it as hard as I could. It wasn't the best job and it wasn't, um, the most fulfilling job, but, um, it was definitely, a a testimony to what the Lord was doing. Cause I got a job at Goodwill and my brother, the the day that I got the job, he was like, "You may not be up for this, but uh, or you may not enjoy the job too much right now, but it is the Lord's goodwill that you're here." And mm-hmm. and it developed a lot of a lot of huge skills. Um, I started working out and and just found that that health was this beautiful thing that the Lord the Lord says our bodies are temples, and that I had been abusing mine for so many years was <laughs> horrible to me. I felt like I had been tearing myself apart and tearing what God had built all apart. So, um, to have some way to output and, and some way to, to build myself up again was, was huge. Um, not only that, but there's not a lot of, a lot of ideas in your head when you come off the streets. It's like, all I know how to do is get high and hang out with people and, and, uh, commit crimes and things like that. So to be able to have some kind of, some kind of activity that was going to better myself. And then when I started realizing that I was getting good enough at it, that I could teach people how to do it, Kind of changed my outlook. Yeah. And so the Lord has really given me a passion to to be able to go out and help people in that way. And um, I got to jump in here real quick (laughs) in that um, I love this young man. And uh, I had uh, Ricky and Anthony and Skylar come up to work. I thought it was going to be a seven hour job at my house cleaning out after 20 
some years of all the stuff underneath the house. Now, these are bodybuilders, especially <laughs> Ricky and Skyler. And it didn't take seven hours. It took 47 minutes. <laughs> That's great. I mean, they yeah. just worked. And we've even had Anthony come up and stay at the house with our animals when we've traveled. And yeah. uh, just a remarkable young man. Well, yeah. this this is an incredible story of transformation. We're running out of time a little bit, but I would like to say that as Anthony graduated from our program and continued to work on himself and discover his identity in Christ, we have recently hired him to be a residential assistant at one of our homes. And so it's been such a beautiful transformation and transition into that identity that God has for him. Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, we'll be back with more of the Georgine Rice Show in just a few moments. I'm Ron Mall, and you're listening to 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm Ron Mall, sitting in today for Georgine Rice, who is in Guatemala, and will be back on Monday. Um, I am the executive director of Transitional Youth Breaking Cycles and just so very privileged to be here and share this evening with you. Um, I just want to share a little bit about Transitional Youth and then our girls' house. Transitional Youth is a faith-based nonprofit in Oregon and Washington serving homeless and at-risk youth. And when I say at-risk, this is these are youth that are aging out of foster care, youth that are coming off the streets from homelessness, youth that are maybe being served in other agencies, or youth that simply are being referred to us by parents who are saying they need help. And so it's a very broad term. Transitional youth has been in Portland for 28 years and currently serves still on the streets of downtown Portland every Monday night, providing meals and clothing for youth that have no home. And then we also have two boys' homes for young men 18 to 25, one in Yakult, Washington, called the Ritz Family Ranch, which is a gift from Pat Ritz, and we're so appreciative. And then in um, conjunction and partnership with Royal Ridges Retreat Center, where our young men go across the street every day to work five days a week, learning job skills and a strong work ethic. We also have a young man's home in Vancouver called the Junction House, serving young men 18 years old to 25. And then in addition to that, we recently opened up a coffee and bike shop called Breaking Cycles Coffee and Bike Shop on 33rd and Powell, where we serve young people in need of job skills training. So we would love for you to come in to Breaking Cycles Cafe and order a cup of coffee or maybe donate a bike or buy a bike. And if you say you heard us on the Georgine Rice Show, we will give you a free cup of coffee. Um, But right now, what we would like to talk about is our girls' house, which is also fairly new to the transitional youth family called Vita's Ark. Um, Vita's Ark was founded about 10 years ago, 11 years ago, by two amazing women. And um, currently, we have our house mom here, Donna Colonna, who has been the house mom for almost six years. And so I would love to ask her some questions. Donna, welcome. Hi. There she is. Okay, (laughs) very good. So Donna's been at Vita's Ark for how long? Five years in April. Five years in April. And I know you've had many girls come and go from that home. Our girls' house serves young moms, 14 years old to 25, and their little ones. And so tell us a little bit about that. Well, we have four beds, four bedrooms, and we can have up to four girls with their children in the home. Uh, it's a beautiful home. Vida Anderson's family has uh, has graciously allowed us to rent it and the property there in Vancouver. And um, we... 
they consider Vita's Ark their like leg- her legacy to the community. It's amazing. She's still alive. She's ninety eight years old. It's incredible. And uh, what a blessing. So um, girls come in from all kinds of places. We're referred by uh, they're referred to us by Council of the Homeless. They're referred to us through the grads programs um, at Evergreen or uh, through the high schools. And we have um, a lot of wonderful people who have come alongside us to help. And when we came under the umbrella of transitional youth, it felt like everything just started to flow. Mm. It was amazing. Beautiful. I remember first meeting Anthony at the Cirque du Soleil. (laughs) We were given tickets, and the girls were so excited. And uh, the girl on the way home, she said, I have never met anybody who talked about Jesus like that. That's amazing. And I said, does he talk about Jesus as if he were his best friend? She went, yeah. (laughs) So what a a wonderful experience. That's amazing. Well, I have to say on a personal note that I've been with Transitional Youth for a little over seven years now. And when I first came on, I was the only female staff, first of all. And we had three or two two guys' homes at that time. And I told Bert early on, I said, we're going to get a girl's house. I will be doing my gender disservice if we don't. <laughs> and the, and I became a quick thorn in his side, I'm sure. Um, Never. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but then, then on top of it, the icing on the cake for me is that it is a home for teen moms and babies. And as I've shared earlier, I was 14 years old when I had my baby. And I know that the resources for teen moms and babies are so limited. And oftentimes, if a young girl does get pregnant, there aren't foster homes to house mom and baby both. And oftentimes, mom is separated from baby in two different foster homes. And so Vita's Ark is such a tremendous blessing. I feel like it brings transitional youth into a beautiful balance. And so we are thrilled to have Vita's Art come under our umbrella. Um, Donna, you have some really incredible stories. We'd love to hear some of those. Well, there are three or four that really stand out to me. Um, There was a young woman who, she was 16. She had a a five-month-old. She came into the home. Uh, We insisted she go to school. She didn't like going to school. So unbeknownst to me, she wouldn't, she would go check in and then she'd check out <laughs> on her own and she'd hang out in the park. Uh, I only found out about it through a a friend who uh, came to prayer and he said, this girl, I'm so sad. She, she just sits in the park and she doesn't go to school. And she said, I live in a teen mom home. And he said, I said, is her name this? And he said, yeah. And I said, oh, she's mine. <laughs> <laughs> but years later, I was so privileged to be able to see her graduate with her GED. That's amazing. And she's gone on to get a coding, billing and coding um, credential at uh, Rogue Community College. And we're still very good friends. And I'm so pleased that I was a part of her story. Bert, do you want to jump in here? Donna, while she's... uh putting herself back together again. Yeah, she's a crier like, like me, and we're turning Bert into oh a crier, I might add. <laughs> I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I, I received a letter uh, from um, to Donna. I stayed in the park for a couple of nights. I had no one. Everyone betrayed me, but I found this shelter for teen moms. You ran, and you decided to walk in those front doors one day 
or I decided to walk in those front doors one day and start my next journey in life. Since I decided to, uh, or since I was at Vitus Ark, you taught me how to cook, clean, be an adult, and most of all, taught me how to be a good mother. You traveled 250 miles to see me graduate with my GED. You picked me up in Salem when I broke down in my car and no one would help me. You were my godmother and still are. I will never forget a thing you have ever done for me. I appreciate you so much and I can't wait to see where the good Lord takes us in life. You were my guardian angel. You found me when everyone else abandoned me. I love you. That's incredible. Now she's crying worse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I had a girl, uh, I had a girl who, she kind of struggled a little bit, but we had some conversations and it's these moments, these conversations that you have, like yours with Casper and others, where you just, you just try to speak God's purpose into them. They're, show them what they can do. And she finally, she buckled down, and within just a few months, she was able to graduate with her high school diploma. And uh, and those kinds of, kinds of moments. And there was a girl, and uh, this one cracks me up, because I get a text about an hour before dinner is supposed to be ready. I can't cook today. I'm so upset. And I tried to call her, and she wouldn't talk to me on the phone. And so we were texting back and forth, and she, I said, well, she goes, I don't have anything. And I said, well, I... We can make some. Um, we can make some dinner. I have. I have pancake mix. We can make pancakes. I don't know how to make pancakes. And I said, and and bacon. She goes, well, I never learned how to cook bacon. And I said, well, it's not that hard. You put it in the oven. And uh, she, long story short, she said, I'll come down. I'll cook, but I'm not going to talk. I said, nobody's going to make you talk. She came down and made a meal, and she was so proud of herself. And I, I think the big deal about that was that she was able to push through past her emotions. And learned a skill right there, mm-hmm. so that she does. She didn't have to break down and not be functional. That's incredible. And you know, as as Donna shares these stories, you know, um, these are the kind of the mountaintop moments. And as we all know in real life and in in ministry, that there's a lot of valleys too, and a lot of climbing those mountains. And so, um, I just want to invite you all, you listeners who are having your heartstrings tugged right now. We need you. It takes a village. And so if you're interested in hearing how to get involved with transitional youth, please do reach out. Um, Visit us online at transitionalyouth.org or 503-350-7215. We'll be back with more of the Georgine Rice Show in a few minutes. I'm Ronna Mall with Transitional Youth, and you are listening to 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm Ronna Mall with Transitional Youth sitting in today for Georgine as she is in Guatemala. She will be back on Monday. Uh, I am representing Transitional Youth tonight as the executive director, and I have some guests here with me, uh, Bert Waugh, one of them, the founder of Transitional Youth, and he would like to share a letter with you right now. You just heard uh, Donna talk about uh, Vita's Ark, and I just received uh, a letter copy of a letter that one of the girls at the house sent to Sean and Gretchen, who have been a benefactor for her room. Uh, My name is, and I won't uh, name the young lady, I live at Vita's Ark in the pink room. 
I wanted to thank you for helping sponsor and financially helping me in the room I stay in, in Vita's Ark. has helped me and greatly impacted my life for the better. Before Vita's, I was homeless and pregnant, living in my car. I was at the lowest point I've ever been throughout my life. Thanks to Vita's Ark and your support, I've been able to better my and my son's life. My handsome baby boy, Maverick, is due in March 2019. I just wanted to write you a thank you letter for supporting me and giving my baby boy and me a better, more stable life. We appreciate you more than I could ever put into words. Thank you, and with much love, from her and Maverick. <laughs> yes, yes. That's just incredible, and we're just so, so blessed to have Vita's Ark under the umbrella of Transitional Youth. And again, um, Transitional Youth has been in Portland for going on 28 years in the Portland-Vancouver area, serving homeless and at-risk youth in uh, in both states, which is amazing. We have an outreach in downtown Portland where we serve young people right on the streets. We have uh, homes for young men the ages of 18 to 25 where they can live long-term, working going to school, learning life skills and job skills that will set them on a completely different trajectory. We know that this is about our identity and how the enemy has come to to steal, to kill, and destroy. And that is at the root in our identity. But God has set us on a different path and wants to introduce us to ourselves. Um, in addition to our boys' homes, as we've talked about here, Vita's Ark has been tucked under the umbrella of transitional youth just a little over a year ago and has brought this beautiful balance into the service that we provide. And in addition, we have Breaking Cycles Coffee and Bike Shop on 33rd and Powell where our young people can learn job skills. You can go into that cafe at any time and chances are you will be served your cup of coffee by one of the youth that we work with or you will have your bike repaired by one of the youth that we work with. Um, What is beautiful about this is this uh, levels the playing field. So these young people can come in with confidence into a workplace. For many of the youth that we work with, they don't have access to a cafe, even as a customer. We've worked with kids that may get a gift card to a Starbucks, and they will carry that cup around with them all day long, if not a couple of days. Why? Because to be a customer in a cafe is unique. And so for these young people to come into this space and know that not only can they be a customer, they can be an employee and they can earn a wage and learn job skills that are marketable in any job they would choose to go to. Again, our identity is in Christ and we want to introduce our young people to Jesus in all of these ways. Um, We just want to say thank you so much for listening tonight, and we are incredibly honored to serve our community. We also want to encourage you to join us. Uh, There's a lot of work to do, and as many wonderful success stories as we have, we have many more that could seem tragic, but we believe that any touch point with our young people, whether it be one time on the streets or a week in one of our homes or two hours at our cafe or opportunities to love on these kids and to speak truth over them. We need you to help make that happen, and there's a lot of ways that you can participate. Well, thank you so much, Rana. Um, I love you, and um, I tell people all the time, I'm 75, so I'm finally old enough to have two full-time jobs. Um, 
I'm involved with Berkshire Hathaway Real Estate Company and, uh, and Transitional Youth. And I proudly say the Lord has given me the opportunity to do my passion, which has been the real estate, and to do my purpose, which is at-risk youth. And I don't think I could ask for anything more. I've been very blessed with uh, 46 years with Susie, four kids, nine grandbabies, and the Lord has just um, answered my dreams. And I'm so proud to be working with you, Donna, Anthony, Bob, <laughs> Alex. It just goes on and on and on. The whole staff uh, and, uh, and volunteers and just the opportunity. I could never retire because we've talked about it all day, all the transformation. Um, my heart would just wouldn't let me do that because of the, the work we do as the organization in transforming young lives. So thank you. Yeah. Well, what I, I love about that is that, you know, God calls all of us. And I just want to encourage you as we wrap up here the last couple of minutes, um, pre, please do consider um, what is your purpose? What is your passion? And I believe, just like with transitional youth um, and the direct service that we provide, but also with Breaking Cycles, the challenge for me when I started Breaking Cycles was to um, take what Portland celebrates most, bikes and coffee, and use those as a tool. And so my challenge to you, just like as God challenged Moses um, when he was called to set a nation free, he said, what do you hold in your hand? And what he held in his hand was a simple and humble shepherd staff. And he used that stick to part a Red Sea, to bring forth water, and to set a nation free. And so my prayer for you tonight is um, that you would, you would pray and consider what tools do you hold in your hand that could be, bring about transformation and freedom for the people in your sphere of influence, whether it be um, coffee or bikes or just a heart to serve on the streets or maybe there's some business people out there or maybe there's a dancer or a writer out there. Um, you're holding some really precious talents that God's given you and we are asking you to please consider how you can reach the world around you. This is what we're called to. What are you called to? And you can use the, the humble tool in your hand like a shepherd's staff to set a nation free. We just want to say thank you so much. Please visit us on transitionalyouth.org, our phone number 503-350-7215. Thank you for the privilege of sharing with you tonight. I'm Ronna Mall with Transitional Youth. God bless you. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at Show. And like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.